Thanks, Ryan. Good morning, everybody. And again, Happy New Year. I hope 2023 so far is knocking your socks off in all the best ways and that your Christmas was meaningful and maybe restful. I know for a lot of us it's not restful, but I hope it was meaningful. Um, And I'm not sure exactly where we're going to be celebrating Christmas Eve next year, but it will be indoors, wherever it is. (laughs) I hope you join me for it. The hot cocoa wasn't quite enough to get us warm there. So people, maybe you've heard people joke around the holidays of spending time together with family, how there's usually at least one person in the family or extended family that doesn't seem to quite fit in. Maybe they call them the odd uncle, or maybe it's a cousin or something, but just that person that, that doesn't seem to quite mesh with everybody else. Maybe it's because they, they have a lot of quirks, the, this odd uncle, or maybe beca- it could be because maybe they're just really intelligent and it's difficult to have a conversation with them because a lot of what they say may go above your head if you don't speak the kind of language that they do because they're very intelligent. Maybe something like that. Maybe you have an uncle, an odd uncle like that. I think about the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews, the sermon of Hebrews in a similar way. Hebrews is a beautiful yet bewildering piece of the New Testament to most Christians. Like a relative, undeniably part of the family, but it's peculiar and puzzling. There's terms such as Melchizedek, high priest, heavenly temple, and terms like this used throughout the 13 chapters of the sermon slash letter. And the speaker cannot seem to stop talking about the Old Testament. Throughout the entire letter, we see 37 quotations, 40 allusions. Those are indirect references to the Old Testament. And there's 19 times where Old Testament material is summarized. And so Hebrews can be a bit, a bit peculiar to us in some of those ways. So highly fixated on the Old Testament. And the letter is, is the most, the most scholarly, the highest level of Greek language throughout Uh, the books of the New Testament. So without the time and the effort, the blessing of this relative will remain unappreciated. But we're going to take the time and the effort and get to know our odd uncle Hebrews. So I wrote a little introduction for you for the sermon slash letter of Hebrews, and I'd like to read it for you. The author is uncertain. The spirit's inspiration is certain. The original audience was composed of Jewish Christians, Hebrews, that heard the gospel from the apostles, had experienced previous persecution, and were currently facing persecution at the time. They longed for security and permanence. The temptation was to revert back, back to the familiar, back to the synagogue, back to the old ways, the old teachings, the old covenant, back to Judaism. With no reference to the destruction of the temple and the, ever, the present description of temple practice, the option to jump back into Judaism was ever before their eyes. Unlike the apostles, they had not seen Jesus. And now, Jesus is out of sight in heaven. In their sight is opposition. They likely were forced to abandon their homes years prior in 49 AD due to the Edict of Claudius. And the persecution at the time continued under Emperor Nero. They wondered if their losses and their suffering outweighed the hope of God's rest and God's city. But the answer is given in the form of a sermon or a word of exhortation, as it says in Hebrews 13. 
The message insists that Jesus is worth it all. He is better. The word that's used for better, greater, more excellent, occurs more times in Hebrews than the rest of the whole New Testament put together. He is a better prophet, better than the angels, better than Moses, and better than the entire structure of the former Levitical priesthood. More than any other New Testament literature, Hebrews gives a comprehensive disclosure of Jesus' fulfillment of the Old Covenant. The way forward is the same as it's always been, faith. Faith will lead to perseverance. Faith will lead to action. The speaker continuously exhorts and encourages his listeners and future readers, that's us, to a courageous response. The greater grace and glory in Christ is a joyful truth. It's a truth that assumes greater responsibility. Through him, we are linked to heaven, to God himself. Accept nothing less. Grasp the plow tighter and never turn back. The letter slash sermon of Hebrews is telling us in a bunch of different ways, have faith in Jesus. He is better. The Hebrews needed to hear this at the time in the face of present persecution, past persecution, suffering, wondering, is it, is it still worth it to put all the chips on the table for Jesus? And we need to hear it today, whether we're currently in a time of suffering in our lives or something just as dangerous, affluence and ease, where we begin to wonder, should we choose Jesus? Is he truly better? Hebrews is about having faith that Jesus is better. He's superior. We're probably going to hear that song, Jesus is better, multiple times in the next year or so. And it's true every time. We just heard the beginning of Hebrews read to us, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Here's the main idea for our passage today. God has spoken by his son. That's what the first four verses are all about. God has spoken by his son. First, we're going to talk about, as Hebrews points out in the first verse, God spoke. But then we see in verse 2, God speaks. We're going to look at how God spoke for our roadmap, then how God speaks. These are both very short points, because I want to spend a lot of time in verses 2 to 4. Why do we listen? Yes, God spoke. Yes, God speaks. But why should we listen to the voice of the Son? That's the direction today. So first, God spoke. Look again at verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Here's what the speaker slash writer of Hebrews does. He gives them a brief history lesson. He sums up all of Israel's history in two words when he says, long ago, <laughs> long ago. He's, he's talking from the time that God called Abraham and Sarah all the way to the last prophet, Malachi in 400-something B.C., that entire history of the nation of, of Israel, God's chosen people. He summarizes their whole history in saying, long ago. Through their history, what happened during their entire time on this planet? God spoke. God spoke. He communicated with them. Can we pause a second? And just think about this incredible truth that God speaks. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to communicate at all. And yet, God wants to talk 
to his people. He wants us to know him. It says in Romans 1 that everyone can know there's a creator because of creation. And yet, we will not know about the creator, his attributes, his nature, who he is, unless he reveals it to us, unless he tells us. It's the difference between general revelation and special revelation. God speaks to us. He spoke to his people. Long ago, God spoke. How did he speak? Look at verse 1. At many times and in many ways by the prophets. Now, I want to point out, if you jump ahead a couple verses to verse 4, the author slash speaker who's given the sermon to the Hebrews begins to bring up the topic of angels, how the Son is superior to the prophets and the angels. The angels are not a random addition here at the end of this introduction. What he's doing is he's showing us the two primary ways in which God communicated his will, his purposes, himself to his people in the Old Covenant through his human messengers, the prophets, and through his spiritual divine messengers, the angels. That's how he, at many times and in many ways, spoke to his people during the Old Covenant. In Numbers 12, there's a good verse that gives us an example of this. Numbers 12, and he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. We're going to hear more about Moses a little later. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. So this verse helps us see a little bit, how did God speak to his prophets who then took his word and revealed it to the people of God through dreams, through visions, and more rarely, as we see with Moses, directly. He spoke to his prophets, these human beings who were to take God's revelation and to give it, to speak it, to share it with God's people. In former times, in many ways and at many times, God spoke to his people through the prophets and through the angels, who were part of who mediated the Old Covenant, as we're going to hear more about angels next week. God spoke. Okay, so there's the first point there. But secondly, we see in verse 2, he didn't only speak in the past to the nation of Israel, God speaks, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Time splits in two when Jesus shows up on the scene. We did it as a people we divided time into B.C. and A.D. because of the impact that he made when he arrived in the world, what Christmas is all about, the incarnation of Jesus, the Son of God. However, the, in the Old Testament, there are multiple predictions about these last days that were to come. And Jesus, as we talked about, if you remember, when we were going through Matthew. When we got to Matthew 24, we talked about the last days and how Jesus, his arrival and his ascension, inaugurated, he started what are called, what are known as the last days, because Jesus is the final climactic word from God. The focus of all God's revelation is the Son. The many and various episodes of revelation during the history of Israel were crowned by the supreme revelation entrusted 
to Jesus. You see, the prophets, they spoke God's word to God's people, but Jesus is the word, the very word of God. All that he did, all that he said, he perfectly revealed the Father. The prophets communicated God to his people, but Jesus is God to his people. God has spoken by his Son. He spoke in the past through prophets, through his messengers, divine and human, and now he speaks by his Son. That's a quick point, right? So let's go on to the third one. God spoke, God speaks. So here's the question for us. Why listen? When we were praying earlier this morning, I thought of how we hear a lot of voices in life. A lot of different ideas, directions, pressures of who we should listen to, of what we should do. With, all, with the flood of information and voices and people beckoning us to go different directions, to do different things with our lives, who do we listen to? Who's the voice that we put first, that we make priority, that we listen to? Why listen to this voice of the Son? Well, look at verses 2 through 4. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Why listen to his voice? Well, who are we talking about? Who is the one speaking? Who is speaking? The one appointed heir of all things. All. The agent and sustainer of all creation. A member of the Godhead, the Trinity. And the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. Why listen to his voice? Well, let's talk about the first one. He's the appointed heir of all things. This is alluding back to Psalm 2 when God is speaking of some Davidic king who's going to be the heir not just of the nation of Israel, but of all nations and the end of the earth. The promised king who would rule on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, the possessor of all he has made. The appointed heir of all things. When we talk about inheritance, back in the Old Testament, the oldest son would receive the entire inheritance from his parents. Whatever the parents owned belongs to the son. Now, Jesus' father was not an ordinary father, was he? All that God owns belongs to the son. What does God own? Everything. Absolutely everything belongs to Jesus. He's the heir of it all. And yet, in Romans 8, he tells us that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I'm about to get this wrong, but I can't help it. We just sang the song, How Strange and Divine, that we can sing or say or something. All is mine, right? I knew I'd botch it. How strange and divine that we can sing, All is mine. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. For some reason... 
Christ cherishes us enough and wants us enough that he's going to share his inheritance, his world, his creation, heaven and earth, with his people. That should make our jaws drop when you think about it. We're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. I thought about 1 Corinthians 3, of why Paul, when talking to the church in Corinth that was bickering about a number of things, one of which being who has the more, who is more power, who is more important among each other in the church. Well, I'm the one who learned from Apollos. No, well, I learned from Paul. You should listen to me. You should appoint me, this and that. And Paul says to him this, 1 Corinthians 3, let no one boast in men. Stop it. He didn't say stop it. I just did Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. He was not being hyperbolic when he said, for all things are yours. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. When I was working through this and reading this verse and just being in awe of the fact that God owns everything, that Christ owns everything, I thought to myself going into 2023, you know, maybe this will be the year, and I'm going to speak for a lot of us here, maybe this will be the year that that I gain through the power of Christ some real victory over this place of putting, of making people really big and God really small. Of letting people control the decisions that you make in your life rather than God. Is, people, is trying to please people good? Yes, absolutely. We want to care for people. We want to we please people. We want to help people. We want to take advice from people. But God has to be first or we're going to be controlled by the opinions and the thoughts and the ideas of other people. Are you currently in your life, do you know that this is a problem in your life? That you allow what people think about you to truly hold a higher position than what God thinks about you? Maybe 2023 is the year where there's really some victory in that area in your life. As we go through the letter slash sermon of Hebrews, let Christ, the truth about who he is, his power, his sovereignty, the fact that he's the appointed heir of all things, change a bit your perspective about who you put as the prominent place in your life and who's directing your life and the decisions that you make. God is big. People is small. Don't get that mixed up. He's the appointed heir of all things. Why listen to his voice? That's a pretty good reason. Secondly, he's the agent of all creation and the one who's constantly sustaining it. Verses 2 to 3. Through him... Also, he created the world and upholds the universe by the word of his power. When it says he created the world, that word world literally means ages. Jesus created time, matter, and space. He created everything. Every ounce of water, every tree, every creature, every star, you name it, he made it. It's his. And on top of that, he actively maintains creation every moment. Every moment, every molecule, if Jesus wasn't upholding it, there'd be no life, there'd be nothing. He made everything. And he sustains everything. And we're going to see he inherits everything. Are you seeing why we should listen to his 
voice. Second reason. We could talk a lot more about that. Third one. He's a member of the Trinity. If you've been paying attention to some of the language so far, you might be wondering. It says that by him, he created all things. The relationship between the Father and the Son is all over the first four verses in Hebrews. He's a member of the Trinity. Look at verse verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, I want to tell you right now what I want you to remember from this point. Because when we start to talk about the Trinity, it can be a little bit confusing. So, for me as well. So if I'm confused, I'm I'm probably not alone in being a bit confused. We learn here a bit more about the oneness, yet the distinctness in the Godhead. We learn about the oneness, yet the distinctness in the Godhead the Godhead, in the Trinity. We can use those words, Trinity, Godhead, uh, inseparably. It's really important for us to get the Trinity right. At the same time, it's really easy to be heretical here. (laughs) It's so easy. A wrong analogy, a wrong word to describe the relationship within the Godhead, and we've got it wrong. It requires learning, study, listening. And I am... forever going to be learning about the truth of the Trinity. I'm currently going through a book called Simply Trinity by Matthew Barrett, which I would recommend. It's a bit heady, but man, it's good, and I'm learning quite a bit about the Trinity. We're always going to be learning about him. So what do we learn right here in this passage? It says of Jesus that he is the radiance of the glory of God. So here's how I can best describe this from what I've learned and read. Think about the sun, S-U-N. I think I have a photo of the sun. You can look at it. It'll be fine for your eyes if it's on the screen here. You know, not going to get... Okay. Think about the sun. The light from the sun is inseparable from the sun itself. We see the sun because we see the light from the sun. You following? We only see the sun because of the light from the sun. In Colo- this reminded me of Colossians 1, where it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We don't know God without knowing the sun. The sun reveals God. There's a quote from the New American Commentary. It says this, Jesus is the effulgence, which means the brilliant radiance or great brightness of God's glory because he shares the same divine nature as the Father. Yet, he's distinct from the Father in his person. As the Council of Nicaea said, Jesus is light from light. If you haven't read the Council of the Nicaean Creed in a while, I encourage you to do so. Our early church put together a succinct teaching on the Trinity, which can really help us. Uh, to better understand the Trinity. And they say in the council, Jesus is light from light, probably taking from this passage in Hebrews 1. The incarnate Christ reveals the divine glory because he is the embodied revelation of God's essential glory. Jesus does not reveal something other than himself. Jesus does not reveal something other than God. So, Jesus is distinct from the Father, but inseparable from him. When he says, I and the Father are one, 
That's what he means. There's a oneness, but there's also a distinctness within the Godhead. So let me paraphrase a little bit from this book, Simply Trinity, from Matthew Barrett. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three members of the Godhead, are one in essence, one in being, one in divine nature, yet distinct in personal properties. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father's not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Holy Spirit's not the Father, etc. One in being, one in divine nature, one in essence, but distinct in personal properties. To be the Son is to be eternally begotten from the Father. From all time, he's always come from the Father. This fancy word, eternal generation. To be the Holy Spirit means to be eternally, always breathed out by the Son and by the Father. The fancy word, spiration. It's who they are. One yet distinct. Jesus, it says here, is the exact imprint, you could translate that word, representation of his nature, it says in Hebrews 1. He's the imprint. That word imprint could be used to talk about the impression made on coins, an exact representation. It could be talked about to differentiate uh, a person. So, for example, the distinct features of a person, like their chin or their eyebrows or something, that help you distinguish who it is. The exact representation of the nature of the Father is who the Son is. Another quote for you by the New American Commentary. The point is, what God is, the Son is. They share the same imprint of being. Within the Godhead, the persons of Jesus and God are distinct, but the divine nature is common to both. What God is in his substantial nature, the Son is as well. And they are likewise immeasurable. I love the end of that. So, they are one, but they are distinct. That's the takeaway, with a lot of you know, teaching there about the Trinity. So why listen to the Son? Because he's the appointed heir of all things? Because he's the agent of all creation and the sustainer of all creation? And because he's God, a member of of the Trinity. That's why we should listen to his voice. In chapter 1, there's a big emphasis on the divinity of Christ. He's God. In chapter 2, we're going to look at, when we get there in a couple, in like, I don't know, two months, month, when we get to chapter 2, the emphasis switches from the divinity, the emphasis on the divinity of the Son, to the humanity of the Son. Fully God, fully human. And he brings that out to show us the importance of both for him to be, as the last point he mentions in Hebrews 1, the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world. Which is the fourth reason we should listen to his voice, because that's who he is. He has died for our, free, for our forgiveness, for our freedom, the atoning sacrifice of the sins of the world. But that sounds like a great one to save for communion. But before we do communion today... Every time we go through a new series, uh, a new book of the Bible, we have some reasons for it. So let me take a step back just for a second. We went through the Gospel of Matthew. Remember that? A couple years. And we looked at how King Jesus revealed the kingdom of God. And then we talked about, well, what does it mean for us to be kingdom citizens, kingdom members? So we looked at a number of these one another commands 
in the New Testament? What, is it, what does it mean to live it out? How are we supposed to live and treat each other? So we looked at a number of those, of those commands and talked about how love has to be the motive, the driving force of these commands, or else it's going to be really skewed. Love has to be the motive. So then we turned our attention to a case study of what does real love look like. So we looked at the true story of Ruth. Here's what love looks like, lived out. And so why are we now going to Hebrews? We're going to Hebrews now because before truly loving the way God has called us to love, we have to have faith in the God who is love. It says in Galatians 5, 6 that here's what matters, here's what counts, faith that works itself out through love. If we want to love like Jesus calls us to, we have to have faith in him, the God who is love, who can love through us. We saw in the life of Ruth, it was her faith in Yahweh, her faith in God that drove her to make the decisions that she did to live the kind of life that she did, a loving life. And so we're turning our attention to Hebrews, a book all about faith in the Son who is worth believing, living, and dying for, the one who is better than anything you can imagine or that you're choosing to live for. And so we go to Hebrews. Make sense? I don't know where we're going after that. That's a long story. We'll see. If, anyway. But with each series, we also develop some artwork. And I'm very thankful I'm not in charge of that. It would be a disaster. Um, but we have talented people who, who create artwork for us for our series. And every time we do that, we want to have artwork that highlights, points out some of the teaching from the book or, the, or the, the topic that we're working through that help us better learn and grow closer to the Lord through the visualization of the artwork. And so I want to call up uh, Summer Jennings did our work, our artwork for this series. And so she's going to come up and explain uh, the work that she's done for us for, for Hebrews. So I'm going to grab the mic for you. It will be on. I think. I know. There it is. Hello. Yes. Hi. It's me again, Tara family. <laughs> um, so, yes, um, it is honestly like a true joy to me to be able to serve Tara this way. Um, and get to tell you guys about it. Um, so with art, sometimes it just looks really pretty and that's fine, right? Um, but myself and Tori and Paul Gordon in, um, in Dino Barbecue, <laughs> looking through this and thinking about this, uh, say different. So um, it's been a really great learning process to really think through things um, for the sake of the church. And so, for better than, um, I'm going to talk through a few of the parts of this design that maybe you have read in the blog post, but I'll tell you again. So, um, one of the main points is that Christ should be the main focal point. He's better. He's greater. We have the greater than sign for all the math people in here that are not me. Um, so, uh, in addition to that, we created this idea of like a wheel like a price is right wheel of he is better than and you just turn it down and it just goes and it's everything. <laughs> um, and so as we go through this series, some of these we're go like, we're going to do better than Moses, all of these things. It's always going to be better than we're going to see that come through in all of these. Um, now with the background. Uh, so what I did was I wanted to give the look of just beginning to end. Um, through all of these 
generations through um, different languages. It's very slight, but on each side, you'll see better than written in 22 different languages. Um, thank you, Google Translate, because <laughs> Ukrainian? Like, I don't know. Um, so <laughs> that's up there somewhere. Um, but also uh, talking about just treatment of color. And when we read through Hebrews, um, what color came to mind? And originally, I think maybe we went with purple, but red seemed to be, one, the color that fit, but it is a reminder of the atoning blood of Jesus um, for that better future now secured um, with him. So that is what we'll see for the next year or something like that. All right. So you won't see me up here again for a little bit. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for listening, and thank you for joining me on this creative experience. Thanks, Tori. All right. Amen. So verse four takes us into, sorry, verse three takes us into communion today. Let me read to you verse three. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why listen to the voice of the Son? He's the only one, the only one who can save us from our sins. He forgave us. He purified us. He made us new. He made us whole. He's the one who made purifications for sins, then sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That means in heaven. When it says he sat down, think about this as you're taking communion today. It does not mean he sat down because he was exhausted. It did not mean he sat down because he's no longer working on our behalf and no longer cares about us and has moved on to another project. It says he sat down after making purifications for sins because he was triumphant, because he was successful, because it's done. As we're going to read in the letter, done once and for all, all of our sins, every single one, he successfully took away from us, buried in the bottom of the sea. Numerous ways scripture talks about it. Forgave us. And so let's think about that. Let's praise him for that as we take communion today, knowing and believing going into this year, Jesus is better. Listen to his voice. Let's pray. Father, if, if we're honest on a day-to-day -day basis, how often do we live with you in mind? Believing that living in light of the sun, in light of you, is truly why we get up in the morning and our motivation to live and the decisions that we make and the voice that we listen to. God, how often do I, do we, put other people's voices first? The voice from our job or our boss or a friend, the voice of our culture, the voice, Lord, of our education, the voice of our ambitions, the vo so many voices, the voice of the enemy, the voice of our flesh, the voice of the world, rather than your voice. God, would you help us to hear your voice more clearly and louder going into this year? God, the other voices, if we put them first, if it's who we live for, it leads 
inevitably to bondage and to death. You want to give life and light and freedom. May we hear your voice and obey your voice. Those who love you are those who obey your commands. Help us listen to you, to your commands, to your direction, to your leading. May we be grounded in your word, led by your spirit. Help us listen. Help us submit to you, to you alone. And let that lead out and guide every other relationship, every other decision that we make. Jesus, you are better. May each and every one of us believe that and live that out this year. Oh, the things you'll do. Oh, the impact this church can make in our short time that we're here. Would you help us, Lord? We can't do it without you. Not us, but through Christ in us. Amen.